Hello, and welcome back to another episode of 25 Stories That Made MLS. I'm your host, Tudor Raman. And I am the younger brother of your host, Tudor Raman, uh, little brother, Nital Raman. Um, For a I, second, I thought you were going to say your name is also Tudor Raman. I mean, I did too. <laughs> <laughs> I did too. Yeah, um, we're here for... But uh, speaking on wanting to be you in some way. Okay. Uh I have a point of contention. All right, we're we're starting with the point of contention. Let's uh, hear it. What is what is a host exactly? Um, it's someone who is you know walking the people through the piece of entertainment that we're doing. I guess. Okay. I mean, the podcast idea is definitely yours, but we are at my house. That's true. My equipment. That's also true. And uh, between you and me. I feel like I'm the host because I know less. If anything, you'd be the guest, no? Oh, so you're saying you're like the Jimmy Fallon? Yeah, if it was like late night... Well, I mean, if it was late night TV, I would rather be the Roots, but like, sure, yeah. A Jimmy Fallon. Like, I'm, I'm, I got the cards, you know, the blue cards, and I'm asking, I'm asking you the questions, right? You know what? I guess, I guess you're probably right. Oh. Maybe. Okay. Yeah. Cool. cool. Well, we got that out of the way, and if you're hearing a little bit of pattering, uh, that is because it's a torrential downpour, and you can hear rain hitting the roof. But we're just like, hey, let's stay on schedule. Let's record. Let's get on with the show. So this is episode two now, right? Yeah. Well said, like a host. Nice. Um, Episode two. So go ahead. All right. Well, if you were listening to episode one, you know that we talked about Alan Rothenberg and the 1984 Olympics and what that meant for inspiration to leading us to what MLS became. So episode two, what do we have today? So our story today is actually about a lawsuit. But before we start there, Mm -hmm. um, it starts with a guy named Todd Durbin. Okay. Not familiar. Great. Uh, so, you know our boy, Alan Rothenberg? Of course. Um, we talked about him in episode one. The first person he ends up hiring to run and, and be part of Major League Soccer, the first employee is a guy named Todd Durbin. And his challenge that he was tasked with was creating a business plan for Major League Soccer that can recruit owners and investors into the league. Okay, so strictly a business guy. Yeah, yeah, definitely on the business side. And his primary primary task is that, and uh, remember the context is this is right after or right before the World Cup, people are excited, but it's also 10 years after NASL folded. Right. And um, if you you remember how NASL folded or why it folded, Mm -hmm. um, it was around um, the idea of probably overexpansion. And then two, inequity or inequality between the teams. Right, right. I mean, if you have one team pulling in Pele and Beckenbauer, right. then, um, how do you compete with that? Exactly, right? So uh, you're talking about the Cosmos. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was pulling in, like, probably some of the best players in the world. And then you had everyone else trying to keep up. Yeah. Right? And so the analogy I like to make is... Um, it's as if, like, uh, if we were, if you were running a Fridays and I was running a Chili's, mm-hmm. and you had deep pockets, and you were like, you know what, I'm gonna get the best waiters, I'm gonna get the best waitresses, I'm gonna get the best chefs, um, and make the best food. Yeah. Eventually, 
you will run me out of business. And uh, in this circumstance, let's just say I'm Fridays. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so Chili's is going down. Chili's is going down. And so th- what was happening, and that's, that happens in business in general, right? So sure. competition happens. Some businesses can't keep up. They run out of business. And But for a sports league, um, you can't play yourself, right? You need the league to play with other right. teams. So right? you need parity, really. You, need, you might not need full parity, but you need l- the other clubs to survive. I would say some semblance of it because sure. we didn't have that with NASL. Yeah, and, and so like even in like the most, in all the leagues here in the U.S., you know, um, it's not like clubs are folding, you know, mm-hmm. and that's for, for a good reason. Um, so that's what you have to avoid with MLS, if you, especially if there's not like an unlimited amount of clubs that can then rise up and be part of the competition, which definitely wasn't. So the thought process that Todd Durbin proposed was instead of competing in, in business, now obviously you're going to compete on the field. That's what the actual product is about. But instead of competing in business, you're actually going to be part of the same business. And the idea is called single entity. Okay. And so think about it in the same model, right? So instead of saying, hey, you own a Friday's, I own a Chili's, it's going to be about, um, it's you own a Friday's and I own a Friday's. Now, I run my Friday's, you run your Friday's, but we both own franchises of the same business. I think franchise is a good word because that's what they are. Exactly, right? Um, And what are the benefits of that? So this has kind of changed the game. It it allows owners to like want to invest in it. Um, because fundamentally, if we are part of the same business, we can agree on the same rules that we're going to compete in. Right. We're going to compete in and say, hey, we're all going to spend about the same amount of money. Right? Sure. And that's a salary. similar menu, different store, like a different store. Exactly. You know what? I'm going to I'm gonna call an audible here. Yeah. Let's use the example of Applebee's. Oh, I like that. And I, I want to use that example because Applebee's is really, really into taking the local town's photos right of their like sports teams with their high school so like we're all in applebee's and you have all these different locations you get a store i get a store but we're in different towns meaning we have different photos of different high school teams up there and different memorabilia on the walls i'm wildly impressed right now i don't know i just think applebee's it's just where i hung out man when i was younger yeah half half appetizers yeah um no you're you're absolutely right you have a different flavor for each one of the teams Mm mm-hmm um, in this scenario, I guess the Applebee's would compete each other with each other in terms of who makes the best burger, but it's not about like trying to drive each other out of business, right? Sure, sure. And um, so use that same thing, but in soccer. So we all agree that we are spending about the same amount of money on players, and mm-hmm. that's a salary cap, right? So you can't, one team can't go buy Pele and Beckenbauer, another team is like buying scrubs, right? Um, uh, we're all agreeing upon what is the max amount of money we can give to a player. Mm-hmm. So you're saying, you know, the max anyone can get is this much. We're all agreeing that, hey, we're not going to compete with each other on getting players, right? So uh, imagine, you know, um, Messi wants to come to play in MLS. And, one day. And one day. And we can only hope. Um and you own Miami, and I own um, NYCFC, and Messi's like, you know what? I'm just gonna play for the team that's gonna bid the highest, right? So what does that mean? That means my our costs are gonna go up because we're competing with each other. Mm-hmm. And so instead, 
in this format, the idea is like you actually sign not with clubs, but you sign with the league itself, which is MLS, which is MLS, right? So all the player contracts are actually signed with Major League Soccer. Todd Durbin is actually the person who signs all the contracts and created this business structure to begin with. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Right. So um, there's a few other factors like there's no free agency, right? So um, if if in in your Applebee's you have an, uh, a waiter who's like, you know what, I'd love to move to the place in Cleveland, he can't do that, right? So like just like in MLS. If someone's out of contract in Club X, he can't just be like, you know what, I want to sign with Club Y um, for more money, right? So there's okay. not a there's not a freedom for movement, and um, and so like all these things together makes from an owner and investor standpoint the league much more attractive. It controls costs. It starts sharing all the revenue. Um, there's a very uh, lower chance of like the the club or what you own. I was going to say, I was going to say, it's a, there's a, there's a fail safe there. Yeah. It's a safety net. It's a safety net. It's a safety net of owning an Applebee's, mm-hmm. you know, more or less it's probably going to work. Right. Yeah. And so, um, and it's still sort of the cornerstone of the league today. Right. So, um, if you looked at, I think Chicago fire, um, uh, there's a new owner who bought the majority share the valuation of Chicago Fire, if you look at that price, was around $400 million. Newcastle United, which is in the Premier League, one of the biggest clubs in, in the Premier League, that club is worth $380 million. You're telling me that Chicago Fire today is worth more than Newcastle? Yeah, because the Chicago Fire knows that it doesn't need to spend too much money in order to exist and compete, um, and that it will share the revenues with all the other team. Newcastle, they have to constantly spend money just to survive in the Premier League. I never would have thought that. Yeah, right? It's kind of crazy. And it's it's still sort of the foundation of, of attracting investors in the league. So that all makes sense, right? So Durbin actually, you know, recruited some of the wealthiest people. People we're going to end up talking about in later episodes like Lamar Hunt, Phil Anschutz, um, you know, Robert Kraft. These are pretty wealthy people that signed up to to be part of Major League Soccer. Partly, and, and a huge part of it, is because the business model has single entity. Okay, well, I have a thing. Yeah, let's hear it. Uh, in my real life, maybe, maybe not. Or let's just say I was. Um, you gave the example of a waiter. Yeah. Right? The waiter's not particularly happy with where they are. Yeah. Maybe they don't want to leave the franchise. They just want to be in a different location, and they don't have that freedom right now. Um, so I'm just imagining, like, somebody's got to be upset about this. And yeah. we already started the, the episode saying that there's a lawsuit. There's a lawsuit. So what, what happens next? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Because if you think about it, um, I just brought the perspective from an ownership standpoint. Right. But other players, the player standpoint is completely different. And I think you nailed it with this idea of like, hey, this feels like something I should be able to do. But you're telling me I can't do it. So let's let's. So he sets up this business plan. Owners are in. The league starts is going to start in 1996. In order to start the league, um, you need to draft players into it. So um, much like uh, the model suggests uh, all these players sign with MLS, and then mm-hmm. MLS figure out, figures out a way, a methodology of determining where you're going to play, right? 
And so the draft has uh, some of the some players that I think you would know, right? So the first pick was Brian McBride. Of course. Uh, second pick, uh, you might not know. I don't know. Gene Harbour? No. Ted Eck, number three at Dallas? Nope. Robin Frazier, number four at L.A.? Sounds familiar. Yeah, the head coach now of Colorado Rapids. Rapids, yeah. Okay. And number five was this uh, guy named Ian Frazier. He went to New England. And I'm going to... Pause on Fraser because, like, Fraser in this now in your which one, Ian Fraser. Ian, thank okay. you. Uh, Ian Fraser in this analogy is going to be that worker that you're talking about. That's like, hey, wait a minute, what's going on here? Um, he is a guy who's born in Scotland, member of the Canadian national team. He's sort of a journeyman. Um, so before MLS was founded, he was playing in indoor leagues. Uh, he was playing in a Canadian soccer league. Uh, he's been bouncing uh, around, but he's a pretty decent player. He's picked number five overall, and again, he's this, like your everyman. He's an everyman. He's definitely your everyman. Uh, but he's a decent player because he's picked number five in a draft that like what filled the entire roster for. Yeah, uh, I mean, you're only four, four spots teams. behind Brian McBride. You got to be decent, be pretty right? good. Yeah, uh, he ends up playing only 20 games or so with uh, the New England Revolution, so it's not like he had a huge legacy on the field. But for him, you know, it was a little bit weird to be like, wait a minute, I can't, um, I can't really negotiate here. Like, which club I'm going to? If I do really well and say, you know, the Metro Stars want me, I can't get, I can't, you know, negotiate with the Metro Stars and sign a new contract. And on top of that, Yuri mentioned that even if he did, it's not like he's going to get paid much more. Exactly, exactly, because it's all everyone's agreeing on what to pay mm-hmm. because it's signed with the league, and. Um, and, you know, there's even, I talked about everyone agreed upon the salary limits. Everyone agreed that no one gets benefits. No one gets a 401k. No one gets health insurance. Oh, man. Yeah, right? So um, Fr- our guy Frazier, not super happy about this, right? Sure. That's definitely lawsuit material. Yeah. Um, and the argument is like, hey, wait a minute. It feels like all these clubs are working together. Um, like to, a conspiracy. Like a conspiracy. Working together uh, to basically agree upon things that are anti-competitive hmm. in nature, right? Conspiracy or um, a pretty hot word recently in uh, in the American lexicon, collusion would be the <laughs> yeah. word. Um, and, and so him and like a bunch of other players filed this lawsuit. And the lawsuit is called Frazier versus Major League Soccer. Okay. Filed almost immediately. And their argument, it was like, hey, this is anti-competitive, not just in like um, a sports standpoint, but in the labor market standpoint. Of course. Um, that the owners are conspiring and colluding with each other. And it was reducing the competition level and depressed the value of individual players, um, especially because Major League Soccer is the only Division One league. Right. right. There's no other league. They file they file the lawsuit. Um in 1996, uh, but the hearings don't really... Which is the same year that MLS started. Right. So this happens immediately. Immediately. Okay. Right? Um, the hearings don't really start to 1998. So the players went two years. Remember, at the, because the lawsuit is in there, they don't have a union. There's mm-hmm. no negotiating. Right. There's no talk about salary increases. No CBA. Or, there's no CBA. Um, and it doesn't really finish until the year 2000. And the owners basically argued, one... We're a single entity. It's impossible for investors of the same business to collude with each other. Just like if I own uh, Applebee's, you own Applebee's, us working together is not against the law. 
Yeah. If you owned a Fridays and I owned Applebee's, us working together would be could be against the law. Um, could be, depending. Um, and that the argument of like depressing the labor market uh, because we're the only Division One uh, league doesn't really make sense bec- because before that the Division One league didn't. There was no Division One league. Right, and we covered that. There was no market. One, right. Yeah. And so that was one of FIFA's demands. Yeah, how do we how do we reduce the market when there was no market before us, right? Uh, point number three was like their argument is like the biggest uh, comp- the mar- labor market was not about the American Division One market, it was the international market. That's a good point because I was just about to say if you're unhappy with MLS and how things are being run, you could transfer out. To anywhere else in the world, right? You can go to Vision Two. You can go. I mean, and, and the problem was like Frazier is a good, like example of that. He was a journeyman. He went from indoor league mm-hmm. to uh, Canadian soccer league. He probably wasn't the best front person to showcase. Hey, I'm being, you know, my actual worth is being depressed by this because before this league started and he got drafted into it, he was fine. You know, jumping from league to league to league. Right. And the last one was, you know, by the time this lawsuit was in the market, 1998, they were saying, hey, we're losing a lot of money, too. So it's not like we're working with each other and we're getting all this profits. These, no, it's like we're doing this to survive. MLS has to survive. The only way they can do that is as a single entity against the market of all the other leagues around the world. Right. It would be a different story if MLS was just killing it and raking in dough. Yeah, not exactly. the case. So in 2000, um, the court actually ruled in favor of Major League Soccer. Mm. They cited kind of the league structure that was set up. So um, if it truly was individual clubs competing with each other, then you wouldn't have uh, one person owning more than one club. At that point, I think Phil Anschutz owned like five or six different clubs or operated five or six different clubs. Uh, they, the fact that all the contracts were signed by Major League Soccer helped in this. The IP is not owned by the clubs; it's owned by Major League Soccer. So, like the IP Chicago, meaning what? Like the intellectual property. Oh, like logos. Like logos, okay. exactly. And identity, anything with identity. Exactly. So, like the Chicago Fire logo. That is, would be your high school photos. Yeah, it's ex- within the stores. Exactly, yeah. and that's owned by not the individual club, but it's owned by Major League Soccer altogether. All these things point to, hey, no, this is actually behaving like an individual organization. And they also said, hey, you are losing a bunch of money, so what you're saying kind of makes sense. Um, the players appealed, and in 2002, uh, the District Court of Appeals actually confirms the original ruling, saying, yeah, um, the original ruling still stands. Major League Soccer is a single entity. They can't collude with each other because it's the same organization. The same kind of rationale still makes sense. So think about that. From 1996 to 2002, the players couldn't negotiate anything because they were waiting for this lawsuit to happen. And it wasn't until 2003 where, like, now the new, like, group of players that are coming up, mm-hmm. players that everyone knows, like Landon Donovan, sure, yeah. Tim Howard, they formed the Major League Soccer Players Union. Really? They're the ones who formed it? Yeah. And the union then negotiates collective bargaining agreements, what you call a CBA, CBA. Uh, to start getting... Uh, player rights. So like in 2004, the first CBA, so like the union and the league kind of negotiate with each other and they, uh, the players raised the minimum salaries. They got 401k plans and health insurance, right? So 2004, from 1996 to 2004, uh, it was the first time they actually got to chance to negotiate anything. But I think we have to keep in mind, it's not like 
from what I'm hearing, it doesn't sound like MLS didn't want players to have a 401k and, 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 you know, any kind of benefits. They just had to do what they had to do to get by and start the league. And yeah, I think, I think it, I mean, if, if, cause what's interesting to me is like, there's valid points on both sides. There's valid points on both sides, especially in the beginning. Yeah. Right. And then where the league, the chance of the league folding, especially in the first four or five years is pretty high. Yeah. So valid points then. I personally am always going to side with players. Sure. Right? It's kind of crazy they didn't have health insurance. and it, That is, yeah, absurd. It's kind of absurd. And so I'm not going to go out of my way and say the league wanted them to have health insurance. They were just waiting for them to negotiate. I, I think, you know, it's a business. And uh, it's just kind of crazy. That's how it unfolded, right? But uh, to your point, like, I'm not sure the league would have ever started without the idea of single entity. I don't mm-hmm. think where the investors come in. I mean, it's still intact today. It's still intact today. It's one of the reasons why owners right now are knocking on the door to try to get uh, more MLS franchises. Honestly, it's how you get a club like Chicago Fire be more valuable mo- monetarily than a, a Newcastle, which has been around for 100 plus years. Yeah, and it has nothing to do with the revenues because Newcastle makes a lot more money from a revenue standpoint, but it's about the controlled costs and, you know, the structure itself. And um, and so th- I think it's an important kind of story in MLS history in that the lawsuit happened, the lawsuit failed. Twice. Uh, twice. Um, it's still allowed single entity. It's still in structure today. It Whether it makes sense today, especially if you think about all the things I said, why the court ruled in favor, like today... Um, there's not more than one owner per per club. Or no, there's not more than, uh, there's no owner that owns more than one club. So that, Today, yeah, yeah. That doesn't exist anymore. Right. There are contracts that are signed by the club and not the league, like designated player contracts. Mm-hmm. So some of these things that drove the original ruling is starting to go away. So if it was challenged again, I'm not sure if that same ruling would stand. It's definitely not fully single entity. It's some sort of hybrid model right now. But... But we're here to tell stories about um, things that made MLS the way it is, and this is a key story. Definitely. Right? Definitely. And Who knows if Landon Donovan and, and Tim Howard would ever come together with the idea of unionizing if things weren't a little unfair to begin with. Exactly. Exactly. And, and not to say if it was good or bad, right? Right. It's just like it, it happened, and it was important, and, and it definitely shaped the way things are, things are happening now. And, and that's the story. That's the story of how Frazier went down. Um, and, uh, and it really kind of shaped the business model of Major League Soccer even today as we speak. Cool. Well, that's episode two, everybody. And as always, we're about to list off some sources. Yeah. Uh, two main sources for this. First one is an oral history of Major League Soccer's frenzied first season by Doug Seabor for Complex Magazine. Honestly, um, if you're going to read any article about Major League Soccer, um, especially the first few years, that's probably the article to read. Um, we'll definitely send the link up. And the second one was how Major League Soccer's single entity status works and its relationship with antitrust law by Terry Brenna in Law and Sport. And that one's actually pretty good as well. And as always, thing to check out from me, go to your local Applebee's, maybe. What you won't see is a photo of me in the drumline in my high school marching band because they just never cared about us that much. (laughs) Um, As always, uh, make sure you subscribe, 
Yeah. Um, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're on Spotify, we're on Apple, uh, we're on Stitcher. And then uh, rate and review us. And what's our Twitter handle? It's at 25 underscore stories. Exactly. Follow us on Twitter. All right, everybody. That's episode two. We'll catch you later.